This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is The Media Mix, and I'm Claire Atkinson. We're back after a short break. We talked to Mark Penn a couple of months ago about politics, and this time he's back to talk about Israel. He shared some exclusive new research on how America views the conflict and why young people hold such different views than older generations. And he has some choice words for the media about fessing up to mistakes and that attack on the Gaza hospital. Remember, many media carried pictures of a destroyed hospital. And it turned out that the hospital wasn't even hit, that it was the parking lot outside the hospital. And so the level of kind of fake pictures here, I think, of the situation is really quite high. This whole issue of mis, dis, and malinformation is a real issue. And it's an issue we need to stop talking about and we need to start acting on. On this episode, you'll hear more from Mark Penn, CEO of Stagwell, which owns a host of marketing companies in advertising, research, and PR in 20 countries around the world. They provide corporations with learnings about what the public is thinking about politics and business and a host of other issues. And you'll hear from Ray Day, the vice chair at Stagwell. He previously worked as the chief communications officer at Ford Motor Company and IBM. We talked after the company released data showing Americans overwhelmingly support Israel in the aftermath of the terror attacks of October 7. I wanted to see if Mark and Ray could shed some light on the communications chaos that has ensnared HR and PR departments wrestling with what to do and say about the conflict to underscore company values without causing offense. That's no easy needle to thread, as we know. Since this is a special series to wrap up the year, on the next episode, we're going to look ahead with some conversations about what's in store for media, marketing, and tech in an election year. But now, let's go to what Mark has to say. We are here back with the Media Mix to discuss a very radioactive topic, and that is the discussion about Israel and Hamas and what the American public thinks of this situation, what corporate communications officers are telling their CEOs they should be saying about it, how brands are responding. And I just want to set the scene with you guys right now. Mark, tell us what are you hearing from people? Are your phones ringing off the hook with folks who are just wondering what the heck to do right now? We look at polling, the support for Israel is overwhelming. And your polling is specifically about Americans. Correct. The support for Israel is very firm in the Correct. States. You know, 84, 85%. You know, but of course, uh, and it's across both parties. And and uh, it's not really as much a political issue here as it is a generational issue. And so it looks like the 18 to 24 group has a very different view of the world and of the Israel-Palestine-Hamas situation which is not really reflected even in people 25 to 34. By the time you get to 65, you're at 95 to 5 in favor of Israel. So there's a there's a communications envelope 
that uh, these uh, college age students are in is really quite different from what the rest of the population is. So, but I, I don't think people are really as wondering kind of what to do. I don't think companies are, are getting, quote, involved, right, unless they're a particular company. I, I think some companies put out something condemning, you know, the terrorist attack and, you know, being fearful for the hostages and so forth. But this is not one in which people are really demanding that companies get involved in it. This is this is a uh, something that companies can most, for the most part, just go about and do their business. That's surprising to hear you say that, Mark. I've been reading about McDonald's offering the free food to the Israel soldiers. That created a backlash. And uh, I think many of us saw that crazy video of the mice being let go by a pro-Palestinian uh, activist in the stores. Starbucks responding to their union threatening to sue them because a, a union made a, a pro-Palestine comment. We've had a criticism of Nike, criticism of pretty much every corporate entity out there, no matter what they've said or done. There's been this backlash from employees, from consumers, from shareholders. What are you seeing out there? Maybe, Ray, this is one for you. It seems to be a topic that folks need to be putting out multiple statements on because the first statements never seem to get it right. Yeah. So if we just fly higher, I mean, obviously on this particular issue, the data are the data that Mark has um, talked about, and they're very compelling. And Americans have a very clear view on this issue. But if we just fly a little bit higher, I, I think what corporate America has been dealing with is this question of to speak out or not to speak out. And it really, to me, is the next chapter in dealing with corporate reputation. And if I just take us back five years, you know, we had the BRT and the purpose principles and the new definition of stakeholder capitalism. We as American companies started to speak out a lot. And I would say that in a little bit of a knee-jerk fashion, what we're seeing coming back to and what companies are dealing with today is speaking out in an authentic way and in a value-based way. And those companies that are speaking out, what I'm finding talking to a lot of the chief communication, communications officers out there is from an employee standpoint, almost universally, people have put their arms around their employees no matter where they are in America, because employees are affected. And we have an employee group. And we want to let employees know that we're with you. We are here to provide you support at this time. Then there's a subset that have taken, as Mark said, um, some external positions. But for me, what this really underscores is we've moved from knee-jerk speaking out to much more authentic and value-based speaking out, which for me, from a corporate standpoint, is a healthier way for corporations to behave. I think your data shows that uh, there's a split on whether businesses think they should say something or not, with 47% saying, yes, we should, 53% saying, no, we shouldn't. Um, what are the dangers in speaking out and in not speaking out? Because no matter what you do, there's going to be criticism. Yeah, I mean, look, I read that as not a lot of enthusiasm for companies to get in the middle of this. Now, it always depends somewhat about your company and what you make and where you're present. And, <clears throat> and so there's always an exception to every rule. 
But usually when we ask the question, should so-and-so speak out on something, usually seven out of 10 say, sure. The fact that more than half said no said, this is, this is an issue that is blown up on universities. And the people who are under pressure here are the university presidents. And sure, are there particular incidents? Look, the support, is over, support for Israel is overwhelming. But are there protests? Are there counter groups, particularly among 18 to 24? Yes, there are. But, but can, you, can you run your company on the basis of who's going to protest the, the loudest? You know, no, right? And, and I think that, that, that some companies have, you know, taken positions or they've said something about the, the hostages. But to get in the middle of the Mideast, you know, con confrontation, something that has been irresolvable for 60 or 70 years, even by the best, it's not something people are looking to their companies to do, right? That's what I got out of the polling. <clears throat> Where people are concerned is because of this disconnect with what 18 to 24 people think versus older. The focus here is really on universities and university presidents. And what are, what are they teaching kids in school? And that's where you've seen, you've seen donors really spark a rebellion. And that's why the companies actually... Are, are can get out of the, you know, in a, in, a, in a way, are not under a lot of pressure, you know, to, to do something or say something here, other than to be respectful for their employees, provide a good atmosphere, make sure there's no discrimination against anyone on either side, you know, to take reasonable precautions if they have, you know, stores or products in, in, in areas that could be near the conflict. Well, what do you do, though? I mean, I've just been reading a lot of the coverage and there was a great story on Axios about employees at each other's throats in Slack messages about uh, who's on what side of this. And, you know, companies made a big thing about creating diversity, equity and inclusion units and uh, making sure that um, people in minority groups felt heard. And, you know, we're hearing from uh, uh, people who are Jewish saying, well, you know, why, why are folks not speaking up for me? Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a group that needs protecting now, and my company has said nothing about this issue. And then you have uh, perhaps others in Hollywood, the Writers Guild decided they didn't want to speak out about the topic because they couldn't come to a consensus among themselves. And, um, you know, they had an anonymous group of members who said, we, we don't feel like we can speak out on this. Uh, we're Arabs, we're Muslims, without feeling like we're going to be tarred with an anti-Semitism uh, brush. And at the same time, you know, Jewish Hollywood feeling like um, they, they, they founded Hollywood and, and nobody is speaking up for them. Um, it's an incredibly complex situation. Um, I'd love it if you guys could drill down a little bit about... Um, what companies uh, need to think about when uh, it comes to employees, when it comes to stakeholders, when it comes to consumers, and you know why draw the line at not speaking out on this when they've spoken out about uh, it? For, for instance, with Procter and Gamble, they spoke out about Roe versus Wade, BLM. Um, Pride marches, uh, supported pride marches. They spoke out about the Ukraine, and yet on this, this was a topic where uh, they drew the line and didn't initially speak. I believe. Well, I think we, you know we've set up this risk and reputation unit, and so you know one size doesn't fit all. 
in these things. What we really say is, look, we, we have experts on the Democratic side, on the Republican side, on the financial communication side and the polling side. And if you're really going to, as a company, just, you know, I can give you an armchair, say this, don't say this. But the truth of the matter is you have to look at, at your own employee base, your own customers, and kind of get some public opinion data uh, on that and see if it's different from what you're seeing as the national. Again, the media plays up any controversy. So if two employees somewhere complain about something, then that gets blown up and you miss the 98 other employees who aren't complaining about anything. Uh, I think that, and so in, in this case, you know, if I ask the American public, what's the number one issue? Do they say Israel? No. Do I ask the number two issue? Israel? No. It's about 10th. You know, we forget the extent to which Americans are not tuned into foreign policy, even when it is on the news, you know, all day long, because there are no American soldiers you know, directly in combat at the time. So, so again, this is an issue. Let's go back. If if you're in a, in a company and you may, you know, if you're making rye bread, you may have a very different. You know, you may be under a lot of pressure because you have a certain consumer base, and they expect you to to respond. And you know, generally, as I said, support for Israel is quite strong, but there's a lot of activism on the other side. So why necessarily get in the in the middle of that when when by and large consumers are not expecting you to get in the middle of a complex foreign policy issue? They are expecting that you're going to be on guard against any anti-Semitism or any Islamophobia or any any hate speech that should break out among the public. They're expecting you to focus there and making sure that you have a good and open workplace, right? And not to, you know, participate. It could be, though, that you're going to send aid in some way that you could help either residents of Gaza or you could help, you know, troops in Israel. But those are, that's a second level of involvement. The most important thing is, do you have a workplace and a workforce that is free of hate? And are you willing to immediately police that? I think that's an important you know, thing for companies to do in this case. And, and I'll say it again, that's not true in universities. Universities are under the spotlight here, which is why corporations are in the background. And Claire, that's why they're in this, it, with this issue, it's been such a focus on the employees to, as Mark said, to create that safe environment, to create an environment where we don't tolerate, we have zero tolerance for hate speech. But at the same time, We've evolved to the point where we do allow a two-way dialogue. We do want it to be a safe environment, but do we want people to belong and to be able to share their views and be who they truly are, their authentic self? So that is the role of companies. And again, every company I have spoken with, the biggest priority right now has been at the employee level. Employee communications has been paramount far and above a worry of do we need to speak out externally. What are some of the things that you've been hearing from people, Ray? Obviously, it, it is a tricky issue trying to, you know, speak up about the attacks and how to describe the attacks on Israel, how to define the word genocide, how to, uh, you know, there are so many semiotics at play here, um, and how to express empathy with uh, the people of Palestine without uh, looking like you're uh, supporting Hamas. There's a lot of very tricky uh, conversations that have led people into uh, social media black holes. What are some of the kind of things that you're hearing from, from people that you speak to? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think first and foremost, it's the question of, are you okay? And we, here are the resources we have for you to navigate through this time and really to be empathetic to the employees who we know are affected potentially on both sides of the equation. So really taking care of putting your virtual arms around your employee population through communication, not unlike what we did from a COVID standpoint. We asked the question, are you okay? And here's how we can help you navigate this new stressor. Um, and then two, helping people understand a perspective and a side that perhaps they didn't have when they started this discussion. So that's where this two-way dialogue comes. But first and foremost, um, and not just the rank and file, but at the top of the house as well. I was speaking with an executive in the C-suite who was deeply, deeply affected by the attacks. And he was on stage and someone asked him, are you okay? And he just, he was a CEO and he started sobbing. And he said, no, I'm not. This is deeply personal to me and it affects who I am. That's the role right now of us in the culture that we create within companies to help people deal with the stress. And are you okay? Allow them a forum to get it out, give them support mechanisms, and help both sides be respectful as they're getting it out and give them the resources to navigate through. Mark, let's talk some more about uh, young people. Can you um, share some of the data about what they think and why? When I took a look at it, and we took this basic question, are you with Israel or Hamas? And as I said before, it was about 85 uh, to 15. Uh, and But among this 18 to 24 group, it was 52, 48. Now, interestingly, among that group, there was just a tremendous amount of misinformation. Uh, 45% believed that the... Uh, hospital uh, was bombed by Israel, uh, not not from a Islamic Jihad rocket. You know, they about thirty three percent didn't believe that the original atrocities had happened at all. There's a tremendous amount of of basic information denial uh, um, among that that younger group. I think there's some legitimate opposition, but when I when I look through it, opposition was was almost maybe a hundred percent higher than I would expect it to be if you really filtered out uh, the misinformation. So that's why universities and university presidents uh, are, are under a lot of pressure because the question is, what are they really teaching these kids? What kind of, what's the information network? Uh, what's going on with a, an organization called SJP, Students of Justice for Palestine, who's funding them? What information are they spreading out? I think there's pressure on, you know, Congressman Talib, in, in terms of the statements that she's making, you know, uh, that are false. So, so certainly, uh, you know, this generation doesn't have the experience of the '73 war, doesn't have the experience of 9/11, doesn't have the same kind of life experiences, you know, with terrorist movements, and, and so they seem to be very much removed in the in their views uh, from from the rest of the from the rest of the country. And people are saying, and, you know, some of the biggest donors, uh, you know, have certainly come down. Uh, uh, Bill Ackman at Harvard just wrote a, a, a you know, a big letter uh, over the weekend, follows what you saw from uh, Mr. Rowan in University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and, uh, you know, the universities were very slow to react in situations where there are, you know, vulnerable Jewish students 
you know, on the campuses who, who felt that they, you know, couldn't go to school and, you know, had to remove their, their typical Jewish stars and things like that. And, and we're genuinely frightened. And then they see all sorts of graffiti, you know, anti-Semitic graffiti, or, you know, painted all over the university. So, so the university's here and, and there is a, there is even an executive order uh, that was signed by Trump that expanded uh, a lot of the discrimination policies to include anti-Semitism. So they're going to be under legal pressure as well if they have not, uh, you know, affirmatively moved here. So I, I think that's where you're seeing this play out. And you're seeing it, it play out because, because we've never seen, you know, uh, demonstrations before on behalf of, of uh, a movement like Hamas. And we're seeing it globally. I mean, I'm stunned at the size of the protests in the UK. Um, I believe there's protests even uh, on the upper west side of New York tonight. Um, wh- why are young people getting things wrong, do you think? Is it because they're relying on TikTok and social media for as their trusted news sources uh, much more than older Americans? Uh, yes, <laughs> I do think I do think I noticed in the polling a relationship between TikTok consumption and and attitudes on the issue. I mean, I, I just think it's 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 simply true. I mean, look, there's some fracturing of the left. There's a there's a theory here that somehow painted, you know, uh, Israel, which is if you go there, a very multicultural society uh, as a uniform uh, as a uniform. Uh, society and a racial, racially oppressor group. So this ideology was spread over the last few years, and it hasn't really been contested uh, until until these events that that really occurred here. And so you, you've got a whole ideology. It's been it's been spread on social media. Uh, it, it creates a difference. And look, there is there are also look there are more younger people. Uh, uh, people who are genuinely concerned about about Palestinians that shouldn't be under underrated uh, in, in any way, but it does seem to me that there's a, a an exaggeration among the younger group uh, due to information that that would you know be be inaccurate. Most young people thought that uh, Israel ruled Gaza and not Hamas, so just the basic facts like that uh, have been have been confused with with the group primarily through social media, not corrected on campuses. So I, I don't think that there would be no opposition. I mean, there is a lot of genuine opposition, <clears throat> particularly as you say, you, you, you know, you go to the UK or, or Turkey or, or other, other countries. So there's conflict. But if you go to the US, very, very solid support for Israel overall. Uh, strong belief, 88% that Israel is justified in responding given the, uh, you know, ferociousness of the atrocities. And, you know, in, from a communications point of view, Israel is not letting anyone but journalists see the 43-minute video of all of the atrocities. And it's interesting at some point, it's like I, I noticed the other day a journalist on air who had seen it, and I could see that her coverage was visibly different, that she was she was emotionally shaken by, by that video. And I wonder if, from a communications point of view, Israel is going to have to let uh, just everybody see that in order to convince people of their case. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm watching the CNN international uh, feed nightly and, uh, you know, one can't help but be also shocked by the images of young children being pulled out of the rubble in Gaza. Um, and I think, you know, that there's perhaps a concern um, 
on the part of the Israeli government that they are the images that are predominant in the every night. And, you know, I think the news media are trying to do a good job of reminding people about hostages and reminding people about the atrocities of October 7th. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I, I think people can't help but be moved by those images of uh folks dealing with uh, the aftermath. Um, Ray and Mark, I'd love to ask you both before we wind up, how do you feel the news media has been dealing with um, verifying truth in this scenario? And, you know, obviously there are deep fakes. I, I was reading about a deep fake. My friends at Creo Point found a deep fake that had a BBC brand name on it. And it was a, a fake uh, news report that the Ukrainians was supporting Hamas. Uh, they suspected it was uh, made by Russia. Um, we're kind of operating in a, in a very different environment in social media these days with a lot of the guardrails uh, removed. Tell me your thoughts on, you know, how are we getting the information about what's actually going on there? Uh, well, look, I think that, that the reporters who are on the ground, who, who are actually there going with the soldiers, doing traditional war reporting, I think you're getting some really good reporting. I think from the media in general, I mean, quoting Hamas uh, casualty figures is ludicrous, especially after they completely exaggerated and lied about a hospital being destroyed. Remember, many media carried pictures of a destroyed hospital, and it turned out that the hospital wasn't even hit, that it was the parking lot outside the hospital. And so, so the level of kind of fake pictures here I think, of, of, of the situation is really quite high. Uh, and, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, third-hand coverage taking propaganda from, you know, professional propagandists. And, and I think that they, again, have to do a better job of verifying things, of being on the, you know, on the ground and actually, actually getting the reporting done within, of course, there are some confines of military, uh, military secrecy. But like I said, I've been impressed by some of the on-ground reporting and completely unimpressed with some of the, the casual use of propaganda statements. They're just obviously false. The, the Hamas casualty numbers where they just add a thousand, they're just obviously, you know, in line with a, with a, with a pattern of, of, of statistics that can't be trusted and, and they provide no verification or information related to it whatsoever. Ray, last word goes to you. How, how have you found media coverage and social media coverage? Because the two are, are different things. Yeah, I, I agree totally with Mark. And those who are getting the true source of information and they're, they're taking the time to get it accurate are doing a good job. I think this goes to a broader question, though, of incumbent on all of us as communicators, whether we're in a company or whether we're in the news media, this whole issue of mis, dis, and malinformation is a real issue. And it's an issue we need to stop talking about and we need to start acting on. And I go back, I was trained as a journalist, I was a journalist, and the first thing you learn in journalism school is ethics and the, the ethics of accuracy and factualness and correctness. And I think even in this warp speed world that we live in, where everyone wants to scoop each other and you want to get the clicks and you want everything immediate, we have to take, take a step back as communicators and remember our first obligation to report the truth. And if it takes an extra minute or an extra five minutes to verify and go back to the tenets of what made the fourth estate so great, 
we need to get back to that. So one of the things I'm very passionate about on this topic of misinformation is we as a communications community, journalists, communicators, corporate, academia, all of us together, we need to band together and fix this problem. And it, we're all talking about, you know, as we get a year away from the U.S. general election, misinformation and malinformation is going to get worse. We can't just talk about it. We, we all have to start acting on it. And if I'm a reporter and I have been a reporter, we really need to remember our first priority of accuracy and ethics. And I think we all need to get back to just some of the basics of what we do. And that's not me piling on uh, reporting. It's a tough job. We've done it. The coverage of that hospital, because I was up watching the, the massive headlines telegraphed around the world, were completely false. And yet not a single media that I know of has just abjectly apologized, taken down the stories and inter important international meetings right, that, that might have you know, saved lives with world leaders were canceled on the base, basis of Hamas-generated misinformation. And don't kid yourself, Russia and, and Iran are on the misinformation trading block you know, right now online heavily as well, according to you know, people that I've been talking to. So, so you got to be careful. But I'm disappointed. You know, the New York Times gave a half-hearted like a, apology, but never really took down the stories. And look, if U.S. intelligence, the own videos of the of the TV stations, you know, showed what actually happened the day after the picture showed the hospital was there and that it was a, the parking lot and, and that and the communications that showed that it was an errant rocket, uh, the news media should have really proved that it's learned some lessons here and been 100% clear that this was a mistake and this was you know, misinformation put out. And they, they didn't do that. They kind of half-heartedly said that, well, US intelligence says and Israel says, and, and, they, they, and they wanted to kind of, kind of maintain a little bit of a half fiction that they, they had not been wholly inaccurate here and very destructive. That was Stagwell CEO Mark Penn, along with Stagwell Vice Chair Ray Day. Thank you for listening to the latest season of The Media Mix. To stay in the mix, subscribe to this podcast and the newsletter, themediamix.substack.com. And you can email us at themediamixus at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on the podcast. We'd love you to subscribe, to rate and review us. And stand by for some more surprise guests in the next few weeks. Mm -hmm.